Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Wednesday, August the 4th, 2021. This is episode 2928, 2928 times now we've gotten together. Today I have a, a great guest uh, lined up for you. His name is Forrest Gavin. I'm sorry, Forrest Garvin, uh, who is the uh, one of the, the founders of PrepperNet, and he's also the uh, the CEO of uh, Sun Ovens. And so we're going to be talking about PrepperNet and a little bit about solar cooking as well today. Uh, we'll have Forrest on in just a moment to uh, to do just that. Uh, before we do, let's go ahead and remind you guys, you can always help support our show by doing business with our sponsors. And our sponsors of the day today are, number one, RidgeWallet.com. I have loved being a user of the Ridge Wallet since they approached me about being a sponsor over three years ago now. Uh, they're one of our newest, our newest sponsors, and yet they've you know, been around for three years. Uh, I carry my Ridge Wallet all the time, everywhere that I go. I really thought I would... Um, I would not quite stick with it when I realized like how much I would have to pare down from a bill fold going to a Ridge wallet. But once I did it, I was like, I don't know why I've been carrying this lump on my butt for most of my life. I really don't. Uh, it's just a smarter, better way to do things, and it also helps protect you from identity theft. Learn more at RidgeWallet.com. Next up today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Backwoods Home, I have been a reader and subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine for a long time. Long time. How long? Since 1993. I discovered Backwoods Home when uh, I got out of the military back in 1993 at Barnes and Noble bookstores when people went to bookstores. And I subscribed to them uh, the next year when I got my first really decent job after I got out of the Army. And I've stayed a subscriber ever since. If you check them out, you'll, uh, you'll find out why. They are just an amazing, amazing uh, company with a tremendous amount of information-rich stuff. And you can subscribe to them. But I actually got an email just coincidentally from Sean B. today. He said, you should let people know about this. Uh, $45 bucks they're offering right now. And it is 24 years of Backwoods Home uh, articles and information on a thumb drive. On a single USB thumb drive, they'll send it right to you for $45. Bucks. So I'll have a link to, the, or to where you can subscribe to the magazine today in the notes, as I usually do. But I'll also put a link to this special offer that they're offering right now, 24 years of Backwoods Home All on one thumb drive. Pretty cool, huh? And with that, let's get on into it. We're going to be talking about PrepperNet and solar cooking uh, with our special guest today, Forrest Garvin. And with that, hey, Forrest, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack. Thanks for having me. I've been a longtime listener and fan, and it's an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to be with you today. Well, I, I'm glad you reached out. I'm, I'm happy to have you on. I've heard of uh, PrepperNet for a long time and, and a lot of good things. Before we dig into that, though, let's start off with who and what is a far, Forrest Garvin, man? Like, uh, what's kind of your background, and how did you get into this whole world of preparedness and things like that? Well, you know, I'm a Y2K baby, I guess. I was the um, webmaster at Bank of America, and I knew we had everything under control, but I had a friend that was at a nuclear power company, and he was telling me the issues they were having with finding programmers, you know, just for the Y2K problem. And it really scared me. And um, the first um, 
preparedness I ever did was I got water, I got salsa, chips, diapers, and baby formula, and I thought I was going to prepare the world grid going down. I just didn't know. And that's really what got me started on this journey. It's been a, a journey for 21 years now. You know, I think Y2K did a lot of good. I really do. I think it got a lot of people to at least think about it. And I think what actually made it good is, is kind of what you just said. I think a lot of people didn't take it seriously, but they did take it a little bit seriously. And they went and they got some things together. And then when it, it went through and nothing happened, they went, well, I knew that. But they also kind of said, well, what if something had happened? And it made them look at how inadequate the little bit they did would have been. Yeah, and and when I looked at what I did to prepare, and then later I was just reading after, you know, nothing happened, of course, and I was like, gosh, I didn't think about this. I didn't think about this, which for me to be – for me to have fear, because I'm usually not a fearful person, it really kind of made me re, re, rethink some of the, my, you know, my planning and lack of planning and really set me on a course of, you know, just – I would say this this long road, and of course, as the road started, I did everything wrong. I bought the wrong water filters. I bought everything. I did everything wrong, and it cost me a lot of money and time. But finally, you know, I won't say that everything's perfect, but I, you know, over the years, I figured everything out. Yeah, yeah. So, what is PrepperNet? So, PrepperNet was a desire. So, if you can imagine, I was a banker an investment banker, and I was looking for like-minded people. I couldn't find any. None of my friends, I brought, you know, you know, preparedness and, you know, different scenarios, and they just kind of looked at me weird. And I'm, there was a desire to just meet other people that I could talk to. And my best friends at that time were people on chats, the old forums, and you didn't know who they were. You didn't even know where they were. And that was the only way I was getting you know, any kind of a social aspect to, to the preparedness. And so in around 2013, I created a meetup in Charlotte, North Carolina, and six people showed up, and they were the weirdest people I've ever met in my life. And I'm like, okay, these aren't the people I'm looking for. But what I found out was I was the weird one. I was the investment banker looking for other doctors and lawyers and high-profile people, I guess. That's what I was looking for, but that's not what showed up. So I was the one that was out of place. And from that 2013 meeting that we had, five of them, of the six, are still my best friends. And four of them, really all five of them, still we do stuff together. And they helped me with PrepperNet. So it, it, it changed my life. Little did I know the disappointment that I had hmm. was actually, you know, a, a blessing in disguise because I figured out I was the issue. <laughs> so when you say you were disappointed, is it because you were looking maybe for people that were maybe a little more affluent, had more resources or ability to acquire resources or just wasn't what you expected? What, what made it kind of a disappointment to you at the first? Now, now, I do want to say this, you know, I've changed since this, this time, okay? But I was, I was, these were not the type of people, I was not looking for people that would come in their, in their BDUs to a meeting. And there's a one lady, she was, she was a, a hippie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I would never hang out with these people. But now 
all these people are like my best friends. I was my expectation coming from, you know, a, a high profiled white collar job. That's the type of people I was looking for. What I found were people that were living the preparedness and the alternative lifestyle of, you know, being self-sufficient. And I found out, gosh, these are the people I do want to meet. These are the people with the knowledge. These are the people that I've, again, made good friends. I was, I just had my expectations that, you know, lawyers, doctors, big, you know, CEOs of companies would come to my meeting. And I'm glad they didn't because that would have just screwed me up big time. And so I was just looking for a desire to talk to people about, you know, the different, you know, hunting or, or fishing or, you know, you know, dry food storage. I was just wanting to, to verify that I was doing a few things right and learn from others. And it was the perfect mix that came. And, um, and that's really what started PrepperNet was a desire to meet others in my own community where I could sit across the table and have coffee with them. It makes a lot of sense. So how did that really get PrepperNet started? Because I think in your first meeting, it really wasn't PrepperNet yet, right? It was more like a, a local preppers group, and it kind of moved from there? Yes, I actually called it DesperateNet because I was desperate to meet other people. But so, yeah, so we started meeting, and by our fourth meeting, we were having 30 people come to this um, meetup. We were doing it once a month. And it grew and it, it grew so much to at one point we had 185 people coming to our meetups and it was, cr it was crazy. And we divided that up, the city up into five different groups. I started helping friends as I'm meeting people, you know, a gentleman comes down from Greensboro said, Hey, I heard about your group. Can you help me start one in Greensboro, North Carolina? I'm like, sure. And then all of a sudden by 2016, we were in 18 different cities in North Carolina, and we were called the Carolina Preppers Network at the time, and we had 8,000 members on Meetup, and I'm like, oh my goodness, and I remember going to a, um, I think it was a Prepper Camp in Saluda, and other people from other states were saying, hey, we're, we're hearing about, you know, the Carolina Preppers Network, can you help us start one in our city, so what happened, it, it we had to change the name, we were no longer, you know, bound to the Carolinas, And um, we now have meetups in over 100 cities in the United States. And the main goal is for people to meet people in their own community because you got to have community to survive. And we, I've got some unbelievable stories of people meeting. They, they were neighbors, didn't even know that each other were preppers, but they go to the, our meetups and they go, oh, my gosh, you know, Jim, Bob, Sue, I didn't know that you were interested in this. And from that, people were forming, I guess you could say, survival groups, survival communities. And it's been, it's been just crazy, the growth that has happened over the few, last few years. And you've uh, implemented something we have here called uh, Expert Council, right? And, and who, who do you have on your Expert Council? You know, Jack, I have to tell you, I kind of stole the idea from you. I saw that you had that. I'm like, oh, my goodness. So I'm a nobody. I'm an ex-banker. People didn't know me. We started in North Carolina. And so I went out to find other people with like-minded. Now, when I say like-minded, I literally interviewed these people. Um, because I wanted them to make sure, I wanted to make sure that groups and community were important to them. And I got, um, John Jacob Schmidt from Amron. He does the Prepper Emergency Radio. I got Scott Hunt from Practical Preppers. Uh, I think friends of yours and I think, um, real good friends of mine as well as, um, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. I got Charlie Hogwood, Glenn Tate, Shelby Gallagher, Gallagher, Sam Copler, 
Rick Austin, Survival Jane. So I went out and got people I knew that were experts. I didn't really know these people as I, as I was starting, but since, you know, they've helped me form and they, they helped me, you know, they help my members. They, 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 um, and it's become a good, we don't do it. I don't take it as far as you do or they answer questions, but I have interviewed them many times on our YouTube channel, but they've been really, without their help, I don't think PrepperNet would have grown because I'm just a, you know, an ex banker trying to find his way in this prepping world and, and trying to prepare my family. And these guys jumped on with me and have really helped a, a great deal. It, how would you characterize like your primary mission with PrepperNet? My my primary mission is to help. It's the it's the same thing I struggled with, and if I knew I struggled with it, other people would. It's finding like minded people in their neighborhood, in their community, and that's difficult because you know preppers we're always so. We, you know, you know, OPSEC is important. We don't want to share our information. We don't want to tell our neighbors that, hey, you know, we've got, you know, you know, six months worth of food and we got all this stuff. It's just a security risk kind of. But to meet other people in your community have like minded. So a lot of people that come to our meetings, they don't even tell their real name. And we're OK with that. Um, um, a lot of our communities, they all have nicknames, but over time you meet these people, you, you train with them, you go camping with them, you break bread with them and they become your friends. And matter of fact, the friends I had in 2013, um, as I was doing investment banking, they're, they're out of my life. I hope they're not listening to this, but they are because the only thing we had in common at that time was money and getting ahead in life. But now my, my, all my friends come from people I've met in my community that come to the PrepperNet meetings and they become my friends and they're the ones I hang out with, go camping with. They're the ones I do life with. And you know what? You know, I, I won't say this out loud, but they're much better people. <laughs> you know, people that care about the community and themselves and their family more than their career and their, you know, and their money. So don't tell anybody I said that. That's fine. Can you talk maybe a little bit about why it is so important to build these local networks, these local relationships where people actually do have each other close by and can identify each other uh, as far as people that they can help and people that can help them? Well, there's always, you know, we, you know, living in North Carolina, we have hurricanes all the time. And anytime that you can team up with other people, that have like-minded that, you know, cause I don't have all the skills. I, I just, I, I'm not going to ever operate on myself or my kids. And, but to have a friend that's a doctor that has a like-minded that can, that I can rely on and count on if times are tough, if a, if a hurricane comes through or we have, you know, family and friends on, on the coast, we can go there down there and take care of them and, and we know what they need and we're there for them. So, you know, it's a community of people in the preparedness industry. We kind of take care of each other because we, we know that we're, we're, you know, in society's eyes, we're a little odd. And cause, you know, we don't trust the government and we, we don't trust that there's going to be food in the grocery stores next week. And we, and we're just a little odd. And so that kind of brings us together. And my mission is to create a, a, a community or a, an atmosphere where people can come and get to know others, share skills, learn skills, and um, and over time become friends so you can form that community. In, when I say community, they don't have to live a mile from you. They can live you know, across town 
and if you're in time of need or you need to get in touch with someone through ham radio communications or something, you got that, you got that network of people that can, can help each other. It's almost building a community inside of a, you know, a, a rural area or a city that can come together and protect, um, and, you know, just build community and trust. And that does take time, but it's been, it's just been crazy. The, the amount of people and the response that we get of people saying, man, I cannot believe that you, that you're doing this and this is working and I'm meeting people in my community. It's changing our lives because it's been a, you know, kind of a secret life for most people. You know, I think that it's, it's not really surprising to me at all because what I've learned in, I guess, 13 years of doing this now is that most people really don't want to have to be hidden with what they're doing. I don't think most people re I think there is this initial thing of like, people are going to come get my stuff or whatever. And I think that, that, that goes in the zombie fantasy realm of, of, right. of non-reality. What it is is people don't like to reveal things about themselves and be mocked for it. Right. So when you tell your neighbor about stuff like this, they generally kind of push you off. And it's a, it's a very basic self-defense mechanism. People don't like to think about what can be going wrong in the world because then it's uncomfortable or what have you. But when you find people that do think the way you do, it's a totally different experience. And what I've noticed with like the events I run in things is, to, and it's to the point of like when we do like the three or four day things here on, on site, we're on like Sunday, you're like, you're going home now because no one wants to leave. Right. And in many of the uh, events, workshops and things that I've either done or been involved with, I see that, that when people actually find each other, no one wants to go back to, no, you know, quote unquote normal, which is really the most non-normal way humans have ever lived as you're talking about all this I just keep thinking about the contrast of how much work I've done to get things like this going yourself many other great people have and how when I was a kid in the 80s in rural Pennsylvania there would have, you would have been laughed at for suggesting something like this because everybody knew everybody everybody had everybody's back there was a tight knit community throughout You know, all of the, the, the small towns, there were, you know, even there was even some level of like kind of ethnic association where we had, you know, Ukrainians and Lithuanians and Irish and, and stuff. And everybody got along outside of that. But there was also kind of this other internet worked thing that went through the churches, the VFW. Like this was just normal and it was right. how everybody acted. And I grew up there, so I thought that was how everybody was. I didn't realize that like, I was looking at the end of it and the last vestiges of it being a normal thing. Yes, that's true. So I'm from a small town in the mountains of North Carolina. When when I grew up, we actually had a spring cellar. You know, there's no such thing as a spring cellar unless, you know, a homestead or a prepper. But a spring cellar, that was normal way of life. And I guess growing up, you know, up in, up in the mountains like that, you know, that was a normal way of life. But now... I mean, people are so trusting on their paycheck, their government, you know, the infrastructure to stay in place. But, you know, we do have this mix now um, of what we I call TP preppers, you know, the toilet paper preppers. And um, I read some statistics the other day about 65 percent of Americans now classify themselves as someone that is prepared. And I'm like, 
man, they just don't. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I'm like, you just don't know what you're prepared. You're prepared for toilet paper to run out. Sure, but you're not prepared. No, if anything showed us how unprepared America was and how even with lots of resources left to prepare with, people had no idea what they were doing. It was It's this stupid pandemic. Yes. When when everything kind of went sideways last year into March and April and you'd go to a grocery store and, like, there wasn't a bag of dry beans on the shelf. And I was just like, I know none of y'all going out and buying this stuff even know how to make a dry bean. Right, you know, you, most of the people were buying things they had. They were buying like I, what 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 disappeared first was shocking to me because there was so much of you know what we call regular stuff still available, you know, barley and stuff like. And I'm like, these people are never going to even no. use this. They don't even know what to do with it. You know, I mean, like they, people were buying wheat grinders, but they had no wheat. Like it was. It was absolutely insane. Like, and Honeyville and all them, they, I, I'm, I'm sure you noticed, like it all sold out. And I had, right. I had people emailing me, even out of this audience, and going, I, I really should have got more wheat and barley. And I'm like, oh, I don't think you really need a lot more of that right now. And I think you can just calm down. But if you really need it, you know, you can get that shit at the, the feed store or the home brew store, right? They got plenty of it. And we're like, wow. And it was like, like to see people in our space kind of deer in the headlights. The people outside of our space, it was right radically just, crazy the way these people reacted. I had one friend that said, hey, I bought a book, and I just bought 300 pounds of, of um, dried rice. And I'm like, why? He goes, well, the book said you got to have rice and beans and storage. I'm like, why don't you just go to the grocery store and buy your regular groceries? He goes, what do you mean? I said, The, the the grocery stores are still open. Just go buy what you eat. Just buy more of it. And he's like, oh. And I'm, just because he read a book, he thought he was doing the right thing. I'm like, oh, yeah. yeah. Enjoy that rice for the next six years. Yeah, at least. <laughs> um, so tell us about your nationwide communications network. How does that actually work? So one of the things that we do is we do we partner with Amron, and we kind of – They've, we've taken a lot of their, um, Amron's a national emergency prepper communication network, and we're actually doing a kind of a joint exercise with them this coming weekend. Um, and so if you can imagine, we have 65,000 members in PrepperNet. And of course, you know, just being real, not all of them are actively involved, but we do have 65,000 members. So we put together a community, each city that has a city leader has a comms officer, a communication officer. And so we put together a program where throughout most of the, most of the big cities and a lot of the small cities, a hundred plus cities that we have a way of communicating and we have an entire like a, um, uh, operation plan of how to communicate if the grid goes down. This weekend's a big practice for us that we're, like I said, I'm, we're partnering with Amron. Um, they call it T-Rex. So we're going to pre, we're, we're practicing some of the things we've been, um, been putting together within PrepperNet. So all the city leaders or most of them at this point, or comms leaders can speak to each other through HF digital radio. So we can get information if, 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 well, give us some more time, but within, I would say another year, we'll be able to get information to and from about where 85% of the population is in America. 
And so we, we have, you know, several home bases was what I call them. You know, ham people call them different. I am a ham person, but just not as experienced as they are. And we can get information down to every level, even if you live in a city of, let's say, Dallas. We even have operators there that can receive a signal through ham radio, throw up an FM transmitter, and broadcast to the millions of people of Dallas and the suburbs through an FM transmitter. And, um, and it, you know, it, so we've, com- we've put together this entire system for communications just so when there is, when there is a, 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 a blackout or something, we can communicate and get information to and from. And so that's been long in making and getting this done, but Amron has been really helpful and we have a, a, a lot of ham guys that are just putting a lot of effort towards this as well. So we're not there, but we're getting there. It's, um, so th- this weekend will be a big, big tale of how well we've done. That's really cool, man. And you guys have an, a, an app as well, right? Yeah, we do. We, so we have a, a kind of an alerts app. Um, and it's kind of morphed over time, but if there's, uh, we've kind of partnered with Alerts USA. And sometimes if there's an affected area or something going on, we can actually send information to people. It's, it's an app on your phone. You download it and, um, if, if there's something major going on in your area, we can get the, just the people in that area the information. So you, let's, I live in Charlotte, but I could sign up for Raleigh as well. So if something big is going on in Raleigh, I, there's couldn't be alert just for the people in Raleigh, but because I have a son that you know goes to college near Raleigh, I can get that information as well and find out what's going on. Hey, you know, a gas, you know, leak or something like this, anything that can major and affect people. And it's a way we can get that information out to, to people in real time. Very cool. And I think it's, it's good that you can do it that way because I've been on some alert networks and it's like all of a sudden a thing goes off. It sounds like a freaking nuclear war's letting loose. Mm-hmm. And it's the, you know, um, I don't know. There's a perceived terrorist threat at a freaking hotel in, you know, Israel. Right. Well, okay. I I guess that's kind of interesting, but no, it doesn't affect my life. And and you know, I mean, to the point where I've actually, I, I hate the fact that I have to admit this publicly. I removed uh, you know Amber Alerts from my phone because it, you can't silence it. It it goes absolutely nuts, and most of the time, there's nothing I can do. And, and, you know, and it's like, and it, again, it sounds like a nuclear bomb is being dropped. I mean, a little chime or something would be fine. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's like some of the uh, weather alert things they put on the TV set where you can't even pause it to stop it. And it's like, what, it, 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 like if it affects me, yes. And it's not that I'm so, you know, actually, I probably more than most people do want to know about things that are even outside of where I directly am. But... There's a level of invasiveness that some of this stuff's gone to that's just crazy. Yes. And it's also, I'm sure you've been in a room where Amber Alert goes off and all of a sudden seven people's phone. Oh, screaming. Sound. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you're screaming. Like, and then you're thinking, oh, God, is it the, is it the launch codes, right? Like <laughs> like what happened to the poor people in Hawaii that one time? They, they got a, like, like 60,000 people or something got an alert that said it was a missile launch and not a drill. Right, that had to freak I, some people out. Yeah, I would be the guy going, "We're all going to die." Oh no, just a, a elderly man's missing. <laughs> I mean, you're like, okay, because 
we do we get silver alerts in North Carolina as well when they're when they're older people go missing or something so yeah yeah we have those too I shut all of it off and I feel yeah. bad because I want to help but it it's so obnoxious yes. right it's so yeah. obnoxious and, and it, there should if there was just a setting that's just like I'll, I'll help but let's let's be calm about it then you know so right. that's cool that you guys have it kind of geared in toward the individual um, not to cut too much on the side there um, you have different programs for your members like you have I'll probably say this wrong. Pert, pert, call it pernert. Yeah, pernert. Okay, and like, what is that? What are some of your other things you have available for people? So one of the things that we've done is again, um, preppers taking care of preppers. So we've partnered with an organization called Ants, and don't remember what the. But um, so when people are in need, we have pernert teams throughout the United States, and these are. So if, if there's a, an, an area that a natural disaster happens, um, for an example, I'll give you a good example. Um, in North Carolina, in Lumberton, North Carolina, uh, Hurricane Florence just absolutely just decimated the city with flooding. And we partnered with um, Amron and Ford Observer and parts of the Cajun Navy. So... The Pernert team, we actually mobilized some people in that area to start helping people, setting up comms for the Amron people. But we also, from that, we had our Pernert team would sit back and become keyboard warriors. We got information on Facebook and Twitter, people that were needing help in that affected area. We were getting that information. We were sending that to um, Ford Observer. They were, I, I call it battle mapping on a, on a map. And then they would forward it to Cajun Navy. And true story, about 2.30 in the morning, we got an alert on Facebook that a, a lady was in her attic in Lumberton, North Carolina, and the water was coming up. And we got that. I got her actual username on Facebook because we were working, we're, um, we had some dealings with Facebook. They let us have a little bit per more permissions. I was texting her through the Facebook Messenger, and she took a photo and said, the water's coming up, and I'm in the attic. So we got that information to Ford Observer. They then forwarded it to a, a, a unit in the Cajun Navy. Cajun Navy went to her house, because we you can't use really ad addresses during this time. You have to use coordinates. And we had, to, we had a team that were taking the coordinates, and we found exactly where her house was, because the only time you can see it this time is like the roof of her house. As the Cajun Navy unit is going to her house, our weather guy said, hey, there's a tornado that just touched down less than a half mile from there. And we're like, what? Well, they went and they actually saved this lady. They didn't have like chainsaws. They weren't expecting to go through someone's roof on this particular um, hurricane. But they got this lady out, took her out, and then a tornado came. We warned them, hey, there's a tornado down in your area. And they actually um, found another house. They ditched the boat, got inside the house, which it was half full of water. And that was the, the roughest time for our team because we're like, oh, my gosh, did we just lose them? Because we lost all communications with them. And it took about two hours later we found out that they were fine. So we were – the Pernert team is not only a an active group that can go out – and help people, you know, if there's tornadoes or a hurricane or a tornado, yeah, they can go and help move, move trees or whatever. We don't get in, in, involved in 
the first response team. We don't try to get in their way. We go and really try to help preppers and people in their preparedness, people with like-minded people. Because once we help them, we know that they can help people in their community more so than everyone else. And so we, and we also have keyboard warriors that can go and get the information, the intel, and share it with first responders or, you know, Cajun Navy or people like that. It's been, that's been a really good program. We haven't used it last year as much because there were very few in effective areas that we actually had control over. But we're prepping that with 65,000 members. We have feet on the ground. So that helps us really with any affected area in the United States, as long as we have a, a good leader and support network within that region. So also tell us a little bit about the uh, software you guys have, PrepperNet Connect software. Yeah, that's been a, a, a – so what I did is I wanted people to be able to find friends or just people in their community and um, without a lot of like, hey, my name's Joe, I own you know 5,000 bullets, what do you own? Didn't want anything like that. So what I created was a software where – if you're the person searching for people in your zip code, it's done by zip code, and you're searching for people in your zip code that are PrepperNet members, you go in there and you go, hey, my name is Forrest. This is my phone number. This is my email. I am looking for other PrepperNet members in this zip code. I would love to meet you for coffee so we, you know, and, and get to know you. That email then goes out to all the members in the, in the same zip code. You don't know, me filling it out, I don't know who it goes to. So it, it goes to the people. Then they have the responsibility if they want to go, no, I don't want to meet Forrest. No, he sounds like a you know shaky, uh, shaky character. Or they can respond and go, hey, I'm Jim. You know, I live in the area. I'd love to meet you for coffee. So it totally is anonymous, and you can connect to people, and they they have the option to reply to you or not. But you, the person trying to initiate the connection, you have to give up some information. And then we limit it of the number that you can send out and and the zip codes. So you just can't spam people throughout in a region. But a, a story behind this in Jacksonville, Florida, we had a gentleman fill out the form and and said, hey, you know, I don't want to use it. But, you know, my name is Bob. You know, I love to meet, you know, some PrepperNet fellow PrepperNet members in this zip code. If you're interested, please respond. Here's my email address. And he said about three hours later, he got an email from, we'll say, you know, Derek said, Derek. And he goes, Hey, Bob, this is Derek. I live down the street from you. I had no idea you were in PrepperNet and they live seven houses away and they connect it because of this software. And so it's a software we've been using for about two years now, and every, it, it, it's connected a lot of people that are even rural areas. You know, there's you know 300 people, and you know someone finds one other person to that they can connect with. Very very cool, man. So, um, do you have like some cities that are like more active or whatever? Like, do you have meetups in every city, certain cities, what have you? Well, we have cities all over the U.S., of course, but we, um, you know, some cities are more active. Some cities we've taken over people that were had like a preparedness group or a um, a prepper group. They would just really they just hand it over to me because meetup it costs some serious money to have a meetup, and it's 
not my pre preferred platform, but it sure does get us a lot of members. But we, we're all over. Every major city in the United States we're probably in. Um, like I said, we're in a hundred cities. We're definitely since we started in the Carolinas, we have a lot more cities in the Carolinas, but we're in, you know, the Austins, the Dallas, you know, San Diego, even Seattle, Chicago, all the big cities, New York. Um, you just have to, if you go to our um, website, you know, we'll have a listing of where they are. And they grow. I mean, it's growing every day. We're opening new city. I won't say every day. I'd say every other week we're opening at least a new city. But, you know, we're looking for people to start one in their in their region as well. And, it, and they just contact me and we'll, we'll help them get started. We have training. We have leadership calls for all the um, – for all the city leaders, um, about every other week, we'll get on the phone, talk about what's going on and different training, what's going on in the world, you know. Um, and, and so we do have a lot of, you know, tools to help these people. And every now and then I'll have one of my expert panel will get on there and, you know, encourage them and and offer them, you know, you know, freebies or something like that. So, yeah, we, we are over the U.S. And we also are in Canada and Australia, Singapore. We're in other countries as well, and but yeah, I never looked to I never looked to go outside of the Carolinas to be honest with you, Jack. But it's just the demand was there, and and I'm trying to do everything I can just to bring people together. I mean, are you to the point now? You actually have some some activity in other countries, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Singapore, Australia, England. We're in England. We're in Canada. Um, where else are we? Germany. So, and these aren't big groups. I mean, they're not, you know, when I say we're in England, we got one group in England. We got two groups in Australia, one or two in Germany. Um, so we're not, you know, I, I treat them no different than I do someone in the United States. You know, when it comes to preparedness, it's the same everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're in Germany, Australia, or United States. It's just getting skills and, and having some supplies. And so I don't treat them any different. Matter of fact, on the calls, the only way you know that they're from, you know, England is the guy's accent. <laughs> sure enough. Um, so how can people join, find your organization, things like that? So we have a, um, we actually, meetup.com, and you can search for PrepperNet near you. And if there's a one near you, it would show up. Um, also, we have a, what we call our public website, which is PrepperNet.com. And it has some basic information, but we also have our members website. We have a free membership, um, for sure, but there's a one that you can help out as well, but the free one, anyone can join. And it's a, um, it's our own private, um, social media website. When I say private, it's no one, there, there's no, there's no connections. The only people that join our site are people that want to join PrepperNet and it's PrepperNet.net. And, um, it's, and our members love it. We have, uh, you know, we just kind of released it a few months ago and we're not, we haven't released it to everyone yet because we're, we're just getting used to it and making sure things are working. But it's called, it's preppernet.net and it has, we have forums on there. We have groups. You can join your city group there and have conversations local to your group. Uh, we do webinars. Um, we do all kinds of things, but it, when I say social media, don't get scared. It's not, it's not moderated. It's not that we're not, you know, censored. It's, it's our own little world and we, and our members love it. 
But so PrepperNet.com and PrepperNet.net are the way, two ways to find us. Very cool, man. And I would also like to talk to you a little bit here, as long as you still have some time, about the work you're doing with Sun Oven. Um, they were a discount vendor in our MSB years and years ago. Uh, my understanding is you actually ended up acquiring them. Can you talk to people a little about what Sun Oven is? Yeah, so Sun Oven, it was going through some hard times, and I, I knew I had, I've had a Sun Oven for years and you know, got to know the owner at the time. And he was telling me some of the challenges that were going on. And I thought, you know, that this could be a good opportunity. So I ended up buying Sun Oven two year, over two years ago. And we've completely, you know, it, th things are going well. Uh, pandemic year did not hurt us, I'll be honest. Sure. And, um, but things are going well. We, what Sun Oven is, is a, is a, a solar appliance that is, you put it in the sun and it cooks your food. It uses nothing else except the greenhouse effect that it creates inside this box that is insulated, has a, you know, a special type of glass on the front, has reflectors to reflect the sun in, and it can cook food just like the oven of your house. Anything you cook in the oven, you can cook in the sun oven. Um, it, it heats up, so food cooks at about 180 or 90 degrees. This can get up, depending on where you are, towards the equator, the closer to the equator, the, the hotter. We had one lady that reported she got 425 degrees in Arizona inside the box. In North Carolina, we're limited to about 380, 375. But it still cooks your food, so it takes about 15 minutes longer than normal. You put your food in there. It can cook bread. It can cook eggs without even being in water. It can cook, again, everything that you have um, in your oven. It can dehydrate as well. It can do a, a lot of things. So a lot of people from Texas actually bought this during the um, during the ice storm. We sold a, I mean, a lot. I don't, I don't even know. We don't even know how people found us, but they were buying it, and people were, hot, you know, heating, cooking their meals when they had no power, um, heating up water because you can also pasteurize water in it as well, and you know. And so it's a great device. Now, I will tell you that our device is the it's the Cadillac. It's the best. We've been making this oven for 34 years. We've sold over 200,000 of them and over the 34 years. And this thing changes lives. If you don't mind me, me going here, but our oven goes overseas all the time. And two-thirds of the world, 2.4 billion people still use wood or charcoal Or done to cook food. I mean, that's a third of the earth. You still uses this to cook. And right now, our, our sun oven saves lives because there, there are, you know, families in 10 huts in the continent of Africa that are cooking over a, you know, a wood fire to their food and they're got their kids in the room and they're breathing all this smoke. Matter of fact, the, the leading, um, cause of death in Africa is no longer malaria. It's a respiratory infection from the wood fires in their huts and their village. And so our ovens will go and they completely don't, I mean, they don't need, it's a very sunny area, so it helps, but they can cook all their food and they don't have to, to tear down the forest and, and, and use the wood. It also, we work with a lot of um, organizations that will set up micro businesses over there. They'll take a, a sun oven with, And, and teach the people on how to create a business of, of baking bread. So they'll make, you know, 10 loaves of bread in a day and then sell it to people in their community to make, to make a living. 
And so we, you know, we've been, um, so working overseas in developing nations or is a, is a huge aspect of what we think Southern Evans is all about. Cause to be honest, it's, it's a preparedness item for us in America, but it's not a necessity over there. It is, it could be life or death. So, um, so it's been, a, it's been, uh, awesome to work with organizations that are changing people's lives with our product. Yeah. I don't think people get that issue really because we are spoiled here. Mm -hmm. I think when you hear cook over wood, people are like, I cook over wood when I go camping all the time. And I'm like, there is a big difference between that or a proper wood stove or a pizza oven or something like that. We're like, where we think of cooking with wood or cooking on a, a, a outdoor, um, like a, like a barbecue grill or something and having basically an open fire in the middle of a room with a hole in the roof. Right. That's a different world. And then the other side of it is most of the country, not all, we have some desert and all, but most of our country, wood is in extreme abundance. The, the, the wood you can harvest for things like rocket stoves and all, it's just scrap wood laying on the ground that actually is good fire management is unbelievable the amount of resources we have. You know, I served in the third world. I served overseas in the military. I know there's places where... If you go to the dump to get food, you're not getting any food because nobody throws away food, right? Mm -hmm. Like but there, there are places that are so much more resource scarce than we are. And I, I don't think people really get how in some of these places, like the little bit of timber that's left, you know, taking that down, that's the last vestiges of then the, the desert just takes over as well. So the health issue and the environmental issue, I think people don't really get because I think we all get tired of being beat over the head with environmentalism because it's been so taken out of context. But that doesn't mean it's not a problem either. Right. So let's let's put that in the, um, the preparedness community. Why why would a prepper or someone in a preparedness community want a son of them? One, it kind of makes sense. I mean, you you spend energy to heat your oven up, then you spend energy to actually cool the oven down through your air conditioner. And if you're an RV, a lot of RVers don't even have ovens. But imagine if you're at a survival group. Now this is, this is deep thinking, you know, kind of the conspiracy world, but that, you know, we have to go there. Um, and you're, let's say that you're at a survival retreat and you're cooking food. Well, if you got a fire, people can see the fire. People can smell the wood cooking. And if you've got something on an open fire, people can smell the, you know, smell the food cooking for miles. And so this is a, a contained unit. You put your food in there. You, you heat the food. I mean, it cooks the food. The smell is not released, and you're not using any fire whatsoever. So it helps with OPSEC, and it helps with, you know, people that are maybe hungry in your area that might be looking for resources. So, you know, the, the, it kind of worked in the preparedness industry, and it was a, a time I wanted to kind of make a change in my life as well. So it's um, – And we're coming out with some uh, some great products too in the future, but it, it 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 does fit in your preparedness. And also, every time someone buys an oven, it really helps us, you know, with people overseas that you know they're years they're you know 20 years away from getting power and actual oven in their house. Mm -hmm. And it helps because we we do mass, we work with an organization called Orphan Grain Train. And every time we sell an oven, we put money into that fund. And during Christmas, we, we do a big fundraiser. And they take these ovens to orphanages around the world, like 26 different countries. Um, and they, they use, and so an orphan, orphanage could use 20 ovens 
But we got something else that's amazing as well. It's called our villager oven. It looks like a humongous satellite dish. And this thing is, I mean, it's, it's, it's gigantic. It's 10 foot tall. Hmm. It looks like a, a satellite and it can cook for 1200 people. Oh, wow. So a, a, a big orphanage. It, um, we can set that thing up. They can, uh, 1200 people and it can make bread, beans, whatever you want. And we have over, I think 180 of them. And right now we've got, we're getting more orders of them, especially, um, if you can imagine like Haiti, I mean, we sent a lot of ovens to Haiti. They have, there's a lot of villagers down there because, you know, humanitarian places, I mean, they have to use generators where they can just put the food in the morning in the oven and at lunchtime they could be feeding these people with no electricity or no food. I mean, no fuel used. And so it's been, um, it, it, it makes you feel good. When you sell a premium product that our ovens have been around for 30 years and they really don't break. And yet it changes the lives of many other people around the world as well. So a lot of people, we are the primo. We, you know, it's, it's, you know, our ovens, you know, $300 to $400, but it doesn't break and it will last you. If you take care of it, it'll last you 34 years because we have hundreds and hundreds out there right now that's been out there 34 years. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to go wrong, right? right. I, I actually bartered the one that I had for years, but um, there's not really anything to break. I guess you could break it. It's got a glass door. You could physically break that. That would actually be pretty easy to replace. The reflector is made out of metal that folds flat. The, the chassis is pretty much a plastic insulated box. There's mm -hmm. not a lot to break. Um, where do you manufacture them? We, it's all made in America. Uh, we have tried hard and it's been difficult to keep it American made, but it is. The only thing that we could not, uh, find in America is the thermometer. Hmm. We just could not find an American made company that made a thermometer because we put one in there so you can tell the, the temperature sure. of, the, you know, of the inside. That's the only thing that we could not find in America. But the supply chains have been difficult for America, but we, we, we're managing and it's made in America. It's a, all the parts are made in America. It's assembled in actually in Illinois. And, um, so we call it the all American sun oven. And we're, I mean, we, we like the idea of being, you know, of, of being made in America. So what about people that wonder like, well, what's the food going to taste like? Oh, it tastes. I just challenge you, if you, you know, I'll, go to Facebook, join a solar cooking group, because you can make your own box. Yeah. You can make your own box. It doesn't get up to 400 degrees like ours does. It can get to like 215, 220 at best. But, but go and read what people post about the food. It's amazing. You can't, you can't overcook it. A lot of people, you know, the term set it and forget it. A lot of people, before they go to work or they're fishing, they'll put their fish or whatever in the box, put it in the direction of the sun. As the sun passes through the sky, they come home at 4 o'clock, get their food out, and they're eating. Uh, and so we have this, these, uh, these pots that we actually created years ago, and um, they're double-stacked pots. So you can cook two items in the sun oven at the same time. You could have a meat and then a rice or whatever, or a bread up on top and... So it, but you can cook two meals at once or two different items at once. And it, it, it really is good tasting food. There's no, it's better than your oven. I mean, it's, 
you know, maybe I'm a little partial there, but the bread is amazing. The, the bread you got to cook for, you know, a little bit longer. I usually cook my bread for about 25 minutes longer, and it is just it it it, it browns on top. You spray a little water on it, just like you do in your oven, and it comes out hard and crispy, and it's just nice and soft and tender on the inside. And people really love it, and people that people that get into this. They get in, I mean, they, there are people that live, that has an oven in their house and they never use it unless it's pouring rain because they love the taste of the sun oven. They love that it saves energy and they love the fact that it's easy. You can't really burn the food in there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think maybe, you know, you mentioned that you had people ordering them for use here in Texas during our blackout. And I think a lot of people are in a misconception that you can't really use something like sun oven except in the summertime. Um, it really, in my experience having worked with them, it has almost nothing to do with the external temperature. You know, within some, you're only going to get so much gain over the ambient. But if you have intense sunlight, like the only thing that really shuts this down is when you don't get sunlight. So you're not going to do it at night. And if you get like really socked in with clouds, but if you get clear open sun, it can be freaking 10 degrees out, and you can cook with one. Exactly. So we have people in um, Alaska that uses the sun oven during periods of time. And there are photos. We have photos. We posted some on, our, I think, our Facebook of people in Texas that snow was all over the ground, and they got their sun oven there. And it was, I think one person had a thermometer, and the thermometer, I forgot, it was like 10 degrees, and the sun oven was cooking, and sun oven showed a temperature of, I think it was 350 degrees in the same photo and we posted that because like you said the ambient temperature absolutely does affect it some but as long as you get the the box in the sun and the sun's reflecting in there you got it sealed it creates the greenhouse effect and it just you know because the insulation you can cook in you know 10 feet of snow as long as the sun is shining I, and I, even even if there's some clouds it um it what will happen is that the temperature of the box will will keep the the temperature. It will start to go down a little bit. Then the sun comes out again and heats it back up. So even over time, with, with clouds out, you can you I mean not full cloud, it, but it it can work. But and and it pasteurizes, it dehydrates. If you put a sun you know a tomato in there on a rack and let the sun you know have at it, oh man, they're they're amazing. Well, and, uh, you know, one of the things I really liked about mine when I had it was the attention to detail. So it had a, basically the ability to adjust the angle so you could optimize the sun. And, of course, yeah. that kind of lifts it up. Well, the the pot sat on like a little, I don't know what you'd call it, like a little tray that is like a pendulum. So mm -hmm. the, plat, the pot remained level when you increased the angle to compensate for the, the altitude of the sun. That is the type of attention to detail that I think made it or makes it a really great product. Yes, it, it's we call it a self-leveling rack where you put the pot there, no matter the angle of the sun, the oven that has to you know rotate. Because we do have these dials where you can line it up perfectly, and it you can and you can rotate it and cook it faster as long you know by keeping it more in the direct sun. But you don't have to do it like that. But um, I didn't know you didn't have one anymore because. I think we need to get you one if you, <laughs> so, um, and we'll take care of that. But, um, but yeah, the, the oven is, it, it becomes a, 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 
people, we just released a cookbook too. So all these people were telling us for years, what recipes? And we're like, they're the same recipes. The same, yeah. I deal with that all the time with all kinds of things. What's your recipe? You know, yeah. I, I made chicken soup. What's your recipe? I threw chicken yeah. in the water and added <laughs> celery and carrots. You know, I mean, like, yeah, but people like to have things yes. to follow, you know. So we just um, published a 300 and some, I think 350 recipes or so. And it, ha I mean, we cannot keep it in stock. It's just crazy. We we never knew there would be a demand for it, but we, I mean, we sold a thousand in a matter of a weekend. And and you know, the supply chains for everyone has been kind of difficult, and it's really been challenging with Sun Oven. So some of the pots that I was telling you about, the double stack pots, the company that actually made them, the only company in the world that made them for us went out of business, mm. and it took us nine months. To 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 find a supplier, to create the molds, to get that, and as soon as we as soon as we got it in, everyone was wanting to buy these things, and we we put them on sale on our on our website, and we sold a thousand of them in three hours, hmm. and we're like, oh my gosh, and so we are still now just catching up with pots because they're the most amazing pots when you have the sun oven because there's limited room in there. It's not like an oven where you have different shelves. You know, there's, it's a box. It's a, I don't know, a foot and a half, a foot and a half, a foot, kind of, if you can imagine this, maybe a little bit less than a foot and a half, but, and so you got, and these pots are made just for this that are thin. They're enamel coated so that it protects, you know, it's, they're in tin. They're not tin. They're still pots. So, but, but yeah, so it's been amazing. The, the, the most amazing thing about Sun Oven is, is the people that use our Sun Oven. It's, these the people that follow Sun Oven and like and cook Sun Oven are a a different breed in themselves. They just love the product. They talk about the product and they use it. They're our best customers. I mean, time and time again, we go. I bought one called Sally and Joe, and they expect us to know them. Yeah, Sally and Joe told me to get one. We love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's always fun. That's what people tell me something like, "Well, I know you know a guy in Texas. His name's Bill. Maybe you know him." And like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where's he from? Like Houston. Like you understand that? Like you literally live closer to me than Houston is to <laughs> me, right? Like, and they don't get it, right? Yeah. So yeah, Bill and Mary told me to get one. Oh, great. You know? <laughs> So where can people get a Sun Oven? It's sunoven.com. That's S-U-N-O-V-E-N.com. And, um, but yes, and again, we've been in business for 34 years, and it's just an amazing product. And know that when you buy a Sun Oven, you're helping people overseas in developing countries. Um, we Last year, we, we gave hundreds and hundreds. We, well, I don't know the, the total numbers, probably around 300 ovens away. Um, to different organizations, some we just um, when you know when there was a a disaster, we would literally call or hey, are you going to let's Haiti? Are you going to you know here? Are you going here? The Bahamas? I think was it the Bahamas? Yeah, somewhere in the Bahamas when they had their um, we were like, can you just get our oven there? You know, give it to a community, give it to a church or organization to to get these things out, and so. Um, We're big about helping others, and, and, and the company always has been. That's just not a new thing since um, the, since I bought it. But sunoven.com. Well, very cool. I have uh, links for all the PrepperNet resources. I have links for all the Sun Oven resources. I will make sure they're in the show notes so people can get a hold of them. Uh, so we gave out a ton of information today, and people driving down the road listening on 
radios and stuff. We you know, don't have to worry about trying to write this stuff down. Just go pull up today's episode, and uh, you will find uh, under episode 2928 all the resources. And uh, Forrest, man, I appreciate you being with us today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's 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 such a blessing because, man, I've been listening to you for years, and uh, you were the only game in town for a while, and, yeah. which was <laughs> you were for a long time. Yeah. I was I was out on an island just trying to learn this stuff, and I was I, I would literally take notes from your shows, and that's another great thing about your shows. You have all the notes, and you provide the notes, and I love that. And so that that really helped me and. And help me in my journey of, of where I am. So you, you're part of PrepperNet and you don't even know it because just for the fact of all the knowledge that I've gained from listening to you and your guests. It's been a really adventurous, I guess, rewarding 13 years now. Um, when I did start, at least po in the podcast side of things, I, I really was it. And mm -hmm. I kind of created it because there wasn't anything. Like it, it I, I tried, there was a couple survival prepper type podcast and it was like you know you turn it on and either the, like the guy was good but he did one episode over 14 right. months or you'd be like water is very important it's necessary to make sure that you and like okay i'm gonna kill myself and i was like we need something you know to to like reinstate this culture of preparedness in america and it's I think the most rewarding part of it is being able to see things like your efforts and other people's efforts pay off over the years. Like to 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 know that like I, I don't mean to sound arrogant or anything, but I feel like we've had a huge impact on many of these different movements um, in, in you know in the past ten ten thirteen years now. Um, and I, I think what it really shows though is that there's a hunger for this. And it's interesting, like, when you were talking about how you have two members that found each other and they live, like, seven houses apart, and I wonder how often we think, like, nobody around me makes any sense. And it's just right. because, well, we don't talk to people anymore. Of course people around you make sense. Is your is your neighborhood on fire? No. Right. Then they make some sense, right? Maybe they don't make perfect sense, but your, your neighborhood's not burning down? Okay, the people around you are not completely crazy, right? And But there's always that first step. And, you know, if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person, maybe you don't go to jail or something crazy, but, like, all of a sudden, you're, okay, you're that guy, and nobody wants to be that guy, except me, I'll be that guy, but most people don't want to be that guy, and it's understandable, and so seeing what you guys are doing is great, and again, I appreciate you being with us today. Well, one other thing I wanted to mention is some something that I put together, this is years ago, and you, I know you'll understand this, is a lot of people don't even like the term prepper. And I think it's a progression though. When you, when you first start looking, you're, you're talking about, okay, we want to be prepared. That's kind of the first words people use. Then they may scoot over into, oh, the preppers. That's what I need to learn is what preppers need to do. Then a, when, when a prepper comes, I'll say an adult or they've matured, they become into a, into a homesteader slash into permaculture into the, you know, the actual, you know, like a homestead. And so it's a progression of people. A lot of people just don't go. And, and I think it's a, it's so again, prepper, people don't look at like prepper. You're pre I don't, I don't like preppers, but it, I think it's a progression. A lot of the people within that comes in the, to prepper net, they're people wanting to learn, but the goal is to get them into self-sufficient lifestyle. And so prepper, 
is kind of a, 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 a way to get to that or a, a rite of passage. You've got to learn some of the basic things before you can get into being, you know, self-sustaining or a homestead or, you know, living on a small farm or something like that. It's a progression. So I kind of look at it as, you know what, we're, you can call us what you want to. We all, the, the end goal is being more self-dependent on our own abilities and what we produce. And, and, and preppers don't think of, you know, I just don't want people to think of preppers as just someone that just stores food and stores, they're, they're hoarders. Cause that's not the tr that's, that's the beginning. Nah, man, the hoarders were all the people that weren't prepared. Yeah. That, that was, that, when you went and saw everything got wiped out in March, April last year, it wasn't us. Right. right, we weren't the ones out buying all kinds of stuff. No, we were the ones going. Oh, you want us to socially distance? We don't like you anyway. <laughs> right, like, you know, I was out fishing in my backyard and out of my ponds that I built or something. Like, I whatever. I mean, I don't care. Like, what about your grandkids? I don't know. They're listening to classic rock with me and hanging out. Like, like you know, yep. like y'all go worry about yourselves. And I think that like that is the entire point of preparedness is. Those who are prepared are not burdens during disasters. We are resources to other people. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to give away everything we have, but if, you know, if I don't have to worry about my basic needs, I can help my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Right? That's that simple. And if I have to worry about my, my basic needs, then my neighbor has to help me. Mm -hmm. And so this idea that we're selfish or hoarders or whatever, that's all propaganda nonsense that, you know, I, th I think this audience is at least, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, But again, man, dude, I appreciate you Thank being with you us so today. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. This has been a, it's been an honor. With that, we've wrapped things up. I want to remind you guys a way you can help support this show that's really, really easy to do. It doesn't cost you any extra money at all. When you're going to do your online shopping, start at tspaz.com. T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Just go there first. But whatever you buy, just start your shopping there. No matter what it is, you'll help support us in the work that we do. However, you'll also find all of my reviews, and it is all top quality. It's all stuff I've spent my money on. I would do again, or I wouldn't recommend it for you. Today's item of the day is on sale, and it is on sale stupid cheap. It's selling for the price that they normally sell for. Not they as in the brand, but they as in the thing. It's a pellet tube smoker. The problem with most of the pellet tube smokers is they're made with really cheap-ass, thin-gauge steel. And the Liz-Q premium pellet smoker tube is not. It's made with very thick, heavy-gauge steel, something that you could, you know, very um, adequately beat somebody across the head with and knock them out. Uh, I'll put it to you that way. And the way I found this one is I actually found one that I thought was the best smoker tube I've ever found. I still think it's the best. You can't get it anymore, probably uh, because of supply shortages uh, and what have you. Uh, but it was made by Cave Tools. And when, when, it's, when it, like, sold out and it didn't come back and, like, months went by and it didn't come back, I'm like, I got to have a smoker tube in the catalog. I have to. So I went out and I did a tremendous amount of research and I came across the one made by a company called LizQ. That's L-I-Z-Z-Q. And I got one. I didn't really need another one, but I'm like, I'm not going to recommend it without owning one. And, you know, they were, like, 16 bucks, 18 bucks, something like that. And... um But they normally retail for like over 20. And today they're on sale for like $12, $11, something like that. I, I don't even remember. It was like, just like, oh, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta run this with it running out. It's 52% off, uh, the standard price right now. 
And there is just so much you can do with a smoker tube to add to your grilling and your cooking. You can go ahead and cook hot or low and slow or whatever and do your typical smoke grill barbecue thing. You can also use one of these to cold smoke. Sure, there's a little bit of uh, residual heat that comes off them, but they do not need to be uh, heated from underneath. In fact, I find that they run much better if you do not heat them underneath and you go ahead and simply light them with a torch let them burn for a while and then let them let them smolder for a little bit before you close the top down they do a fantastic job there's almost unlimited um, types of wood that you can get in pellet form it, it is just one of the easiest ways to really broaden what you can do with your outdoor cooking and grilling and cold smoking It's cheap. It's so much less expensive than buying a dedicated, you know, smoker like a, a smoker grill or a pellet Traeger grill or something like that. Um, your existing grill will do everything that you need with one of these. Uh, maybe you're not going to do competition, 12-hour smoking of a brisket with it or something like that. But day-to-day -day use and day-to-day -day things that you want to do to put that, that wonderful character and flavor of smoke on your food, they'll do it all. And in this case, it is for about $10 bucks with it on sale today. Again, it's made by a company called LizQ. L-I-Z-Z-Q. Um, I picked this one out. It costs more than the typical. That's usually around nine to twelve bucks is how much these things usually are. This one was, you know, selling in the twenties. I did that because I don't believe in going cheap just to go cheap. I don't think that makes sense, especially with lower cost items. You want something long lasting. Today it just happens to be on sale so cheap it might as well be cheap in cost but it's still premium in quality. The LizQ Premium Pellet Smoker Tube. You can always support us in everything we do just by doing what? You know it. You're online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's go to our song of the day today. We are on Jimmy Buffett week. And this song is called Wonder Why We Ever Go Home. It was released in 1977 on the album that was called Changes in Latitudes, Changes in Attitudes, which, of course, that was also a song that Jimmy did. Um, There's a lot of great Jimmy Buffett songs out there. And some of the best were never really big hits. This is one of those. But have you ever wondered to yourself, what is Jimmy Buffett's favorite Jimmy Buffett song? What song does Jimmy himself consider like the best song he ever did? The one that he most enjoys performing? And it's probably because it's not a hit. So it's not one like everybody's always screaming it at you. You've got to play it again. you got to play it again. It's this song, Wonder Why We Ever Go Home. This song is really a blend of two concepts. It is first straight-up wanderlust. This idea of that there's always something more to be explored, always somewhere else to go, always something to do next. And kind of sitting still and being in one place and not experiencing that is, is limiting in, in, in Jimmy's field. But it's also a song that absolutely looks at aging. It absolutely looks at aging. The years grow shorter, not longer. Okay? I mean, that's about as, you know, as much poetry and symbolism as Buffett does. That's pretty straight up in your face. You know, the waters get deeper the more we move down the stream. And it, it, it's also coming to accept, you know, your own limitations, your own mortality. And then how does that, how does that merge? with the wanderlust that so many of us have for more and more exploration. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.
years grow shorter, not longer. More if than on your own. Feelings for moving grow stronger. So you wonder why you ever go home. Wonder why you ever go home. People are moving so quick. Humor's in need of repair. Same occupations and same obligations. They've really got nothing to share. Like driving around with no spare. Deeper, not shallow. Further you move down the stream, wondering if I can keep her as I race to catch up with my dream. How they shine and glitter and gleam. Years grow shorter, not longer. Stronger, so you wonder why you ever go. 